Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press and I'm Jonathan Foster. Today we are going back into railroad history and I'm talking with the author of The Railroads of Lake Charles, Thad Carter. Now this book tells the history of the growth of the railroad industry in southwest Louisiana through photographs, documentation of the first street railroads in Lake Charles, and the arrival of logging trains and passenger service. Railroads Lake Charles revisits a saga of the Kansas City Southern, Missouri Pacific, Southern Pacific, and other lines. And these lines really, a lot of them went all over the country, especially the Southern Pacific. That Hills Carter serves as a retired minister in the United Methodist Church. His childhood adventures on the Southern Pacific and the Kansas City Southern spurred his lifelong interest in railroads. He and his wife have two sons and six grandchildren. Hey, Thad, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Good to be with you. So, Thad, let's start with the early history of rails in the Lake Charles area. And it was not steam-powered or horse-powered, but mule power, right? Uh, that's correct. They, when you go back far enough, they were using mules, and the, they were basically pulling cars loaded with logs and uh, there was a lot of pine forest in that area and they needed to transport the logs so that's the way uh, the railroads were started the uh, uh, builders would go in the track layers go in and lay a few mile of track and a lot of those logging railroads got pulled up but some some of them uh, persisted and later became part of for instance, the Missouri Pacific Railroad. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you ever find yourself over here in this area. I used to work at a plantation museum that we have mm-hmm. here in Charleston. It's called Drayton Hall. And after the Civil War, they found um, phosphate on the grounds of the plantation. And when they were mining that phosphate in the ground to get it over to the Ashley River on the grounds, they actually had a small-scale engine steam engine that would pull it over so there you there's still some places where you can see some of the rail on the uh, site but that was really you know neat to we have a picture of uh of that train over on drayton hall so you know it was neat to see that you know all types of mining trains and logging trains used locally for things like that it's neat to see that there's different places where that's how the railroads get introduced into areas. We had uh, sugarcane railroads down in South Louisiana where I'm from and some of the plantations would have sugarcane uh, railroads with a little tiny engine that looked like a toy. Exactly. And yeah. it, what happened was uh, as they were being phased out uh, Disney was in the process of designing his park and he went to South Louisiana and purchased at least one of the sugarcane engines. And when you go to the park, it's still in operation today. You have to know what you're looking at, and they've done a magnificent job restoring it. But uh, you can still ride behind one of the actual sugarcane engines. I didn't know that. That was used in South Louisiana. Yes, I've ridden behind it many times. That's amazing. So is that Disney World or Disneyland? The uh, the one that I rode on was at Disneyland. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, that's neat. So, but other railroads are going to come to the area. And that's right. What is the important role that they're going to play in Lake Charles? Well, they, originally they're moving uh, uh, forest materials. And uh, then as oil comes into the picture after the turn of the century, they start 
uh, 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 transporting uh, crude oil. It's uh, ironically today, uh, petroleum products are just about the number one commodity that the railroads are handling in this country. Uh, oil products and uh, coal used to be on top, but it isn't anymore. But that's what they were doing. They were hauling logs and oil. And then of course, uh, at that time in history, LCL freight, which is stands for less than carload freight, uh, is very important because every little town has a train station depot mm -hmm. and you get your packages, you get some of your freight shipments for all the small stores, maybe unloaded out of a single boxcar in a little town. And that lasted until about 30 years ago, actually, in some areas, of course, it's gone now. But that's one of the things that uh, LCL freight was very important with the little 40-foot boxcars, originally wooden boxcars with steel frames. And then, of course, uh, the uh, steel boxcar, which I guess is the most popular, uh, most well-known uh, railroad car in the history of railroads is that 40-foot steel boxcar. But that's what they were hauling, and that sustained them for many years. Yeah, you know, it, it's... Funny you said that because I've since you pulled back the curtain a little bit because me and you, I've actually been your publicist on this book. I sent you that picture from my hometown uh, with the Griffin Regional Welcome Center that was actually the re grocery receiving depot uh, yes. originally beforehand. So that kind of ties into that because that's where base, uh, a company had their grocery receiving that would come in on the, on the train in Griffin. Uh, yes. So yes, it's. We it's it's neat that you were you you brought that up. Kind of ties that in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we still have in Lake Charles. I think there is one building. It's been renovated, and it's a, a, a an entertainment center and a convention center. Uh, people go there for weddings and parties. And, but it was uh, uh, the last freight warehouse. I think is the last freight warehouse standing in Lake Charles. It was known as the Cash and Carry building on the corner of Enterprise Boulevard and Broad Street. And somebody who is historically minded had it uh, had it renovated. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. But that's where they had a, a freight car track uh, pulled right up to the side and they would unload the cars uh, there. And there were several in that area. We had a lot of railroad tracks. Lake Charles had railroad tracks all over it, just everywhere. And uh, there was a lot of switching to be done and a lot of train watching to be done, too, especially when I was a youngster in the 1950s. It was a big industrial center. It was Lake Charles still a big industrial type center today? Oh, oh yes. Yes. We have uh, uh, oil refineries and uh, 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 all sorts of, uh, I believe there's a fracking operation there. There's just all kinds of, uh, the oil industry is still very, very big in Lake Charles. One of the first pictures that I took for this book was uh, uh, down at the site of the old SB Depot and a, a unit train uh, was just coming through as I got there and it probably had 150 tank cars on it. That's a very big part of the yeah. uh, population of, of the industry there in the Lake Charles area. And you know, I'm going to get to those images in a second, but first I want to get you, you, you kind of brought up, you know, when you were younger looking at at railroads and cars and trains, but how did you come to love railroads so much? Well, from the time I was two years old, 
Uh, we didn't have a car. This was in the 1950s, and my dad refused to purchase a car. He said if it broke, he'd walk off and leave it. So he walked to work. He walked everywhere he went. And most of the time, so did my mother and I. So uh, if we wanted to go see Grandma and my Aunt Betty in Springfield, we had to take the train. So we would ride the old Kansas City Southern bus to the uh, track site in De Quincey, Louisiana. And from the time I was two, we would board a train called the Flying Crow. And it would take us to Joplin, Missouri, where the relatives would pick us up. The lion was known as the lion that's as straight as a crow flies, because if you look at a map of the KCS mileage, it's a perfectly straight line from Kansas City down to uh, Port Arthur, Texas. And we'd ride in the old heavyweight coaches they were still running. They had been built around 1910, 1915. And so we would ride in those, and uh, they were called heavyweights. If mm. you've ever seen an old movie, you've seen those passenger cars. And then we would ride the Southern Pacific Railroad, which had a train called the Sunset Limited, and it was a post-World War II streamliner. It was like a hotel on wheels and it had uh, dining cars and coffee shops and lounge cars and sleeping accommodations and it was quite an operation so we got to ride that some once to california in fact then they had mail trains we'd ride the mail trains and that mail train would stop uh in almost every little town or you could flag it down if it wasn't a scheduled stop and they called wow. it a mail train because they had a railway post office car on it, and the postal employees would sort mail, put it in a bag, and if they had a bag for your little town, as the train went through, they would throw the bag off, and then the old gentleman who had hung a bag up on the iron railing would be there to pick up the bag, and the mail car operator would take a giant steel hook and it would hook the mail that was on the crane and he would put it in the car. And that's how the mail was exchanged in many little towns for decades. Uh, like I said, if the town was big enough, the train would stop there and they would unload the mail into baggage carts. But if it wasn't, that was the way the mail uh, was, was handled. An old man named Mr. Stutzman had the job where I grew up in Iowa, Louisiana. He was nearly 80 years old and he would walk with a canvas bag on his back and he would climb up the little stepladder by the railroad and he would hook the bag onto the big steel crane that was quite heavy and secure it, climb back down the ladder, walk to his hut and wait for hours for the train to show up because it was almost always late. And he had to get the mailbag and had to get the mail to take back to the post office. No matter what the weather was, no matter what, it went through and he did. That was his job. And I got to be a part of that and watch him and talk to him. Wow. What a cool experience and cool story and a neat history to pass down. So those images you have are really cool images of among them, uh, beautiful steam engines and some, I didn't think I would see in use in the 1900s. Uh, yes. I think about the old, you know, especially the images of the smaller engines getting delivered on the back of some, uh, of the flat rail cars. <laughs> it was neat. Yes. To see it. That's right. That's right. I was fortunate enough fortunate enough to get that from the Imperial Calcasieu Museum and Lake Charles. They were really nice to us. And that's a little 240 engine. They call them whatever the wheels mm -hmm. configuration was on the steam locomotives. That's what they called them. And this was a 240. I mean, it had two wheels up front and, and your two major wheels behind that. And uh, it was a beautiful old engine. And they gave me this uh, picture 
may have been used for switching at the Reeser machine shop in Lake Charles, uh, probably in the 1890s, I imagine. And as you can see, the little short flat car belonged to the Kansas City Southern Railroad. Yeah. So did you have any of these images already in your collection or did you get most of them from museums and libraries? Most of them I got from the Imperial Calcasieu Museum. I got from the uh, Lawrence Historical Museum at McNeese State University. And I got a picture from the Jennings, Louisiana Museum. And I got a uh, some uh, uh, help from the uh, Lake Charles uh, Public Library. They were also very helpful to me. But I have a picture collection, and a, a couple of the steam shots came, and several of the diesel shots I had taken over the years of the Sunset Limited uh, before and after Amtrak uh, assumed operation mm -hmm. of the Sunset Limited. And I was fortunate enough, I had just carried those pictures around with me for decades. But I had never thrown them away or given them away. I just hung on to them, and I'm glad now that I did. Yeah, absolutely. You got a favorite image in the book or a couple favorite images? Oh, I think probably my favorite image is of the four or five crewmen on the Kansas City Southern, Southern Bell who are in Dequeen, Arkansas, on the last day of the Southern Bell's operation. And that's on page 84. And the expressions on their faces uh, tell a great story. The, the car man uh, looks so very sad. He's looking down. Uh, the uh, brakeman or conductor is, is very cheerful. Uh, the porter is stoic. He's just he's done this job for 50 years and he's still doing it. And I remember him. I'm fortunate enough to remember the gentleman that was the was the porter. But this is the last day in Kansas City Southern in December of 1969 was freight only. And they gave all the passenger employees the option of keeping their jobs and going to work for the freight railroad if they wanted to. That's how the big corporations handled their people hmm. back 60 years ago. They took care of them. Wow. But that's my favorite, I think. That's probably my favorite picture. And the people pictures in the train, uh, of course, are my favorites uh, because uh, they tell a story. I went to school with a man named Arthur Lee Landry, and Arthur's in the picture. He, for many years, uh, operated a track gang on the Southern Pacific Railroad, and uh, which is a very difficult job, requires a great deal of skill. And he did that for most of his life. And so I was fortunate enough to secure a picture of, of Arthur Lee, and he is in the book, and uh, several others, some of the people I knew, some of the people I did not know. For instance, the first uh, lady station agent for the Southern Pacific in Lake Charles, uh, Miss Laura Hawkins, uh, is pictured. We were fortunate enough to find a picture of her and to put it uh, to put it. Uh, so those are the, really my favorites. Yeah. I like the, uh, there's speaking of uh, real, uh, pictures of men with their uh, trains, there's one from the Great Depression, and they're with an old steam train, and I'm, I can't find it in the book right now, but they're, um, they have a sense of pride. They're with an older locomotive, it's in the 1930s, but you can still they tell they take great pride in their work. In yes, they're dressed, their, they're dressed in shirts and ties in yeah. some of those pictures, which yeah. is amazing. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, that's the way they used to dress because 
if you had a job with a railroad, uh, everyone knew that you were successful. That was the most successful middle-class job that anyone could have. In the African-American community, if you were a sleeping car porter, uh, you were looked upon with great respect. This was a job that people coveted. And of course, in those days, uh, the sleeping cars transported at least tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of passengers per night. And many of the major trains carried multiple sleeping cars. And uh, so this was a, a job of great, uh, 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 that earned great respect for the people that, that traveled those trains. A very difficult job. You know, you would be out for days at a time sometime. But yeah. it was a, a job that was you were really looked up to if you had a title of sleeping car porter. Yeah. You know, railroads, people don't, they kind of see them as a thing of the past, but they still play an important role today. For instance, CSX, they still deliver goods to our port where I live here in Charleston. And those, they're delivering goods that are going to go around the world on a ship. And then they return after delivering those goods to the port with cars full of goods spread throughout the country. Norfolk Southern comes with trailers and they come with cars loaded up with actual automobiles. And just like CSX, they return with goods. Food is still shipped yes. across the country from the West Coast back to the East Coast by rail and refrigerated cars. Do you see railroads making perhaps a bigger impact in the future, maybe with people traveling them again? Well, they've done away with this uh, cross-country pipeline they were going to build, so that's going to be more oil business for the railroads. Uh, I think other than uh high-speed rail, and I speak as one who loves the passenger trains and wants them to continue forever, but I think other than high-speed rail uh, and commuter between major cities, I'm uncertain about the future of the long-distance passenger train. Uh, I want to see it continue. I don't know. It's It's been uh, uh, sliced up uh, one piece at a time. When Amtrak took over, uh, they immediately discontinued two-thirds of the long-distance passenger network. And uh, Amtrak has managed to add a little bit over the years, but uh, it's still nothing like it used to be because uh, people are happy with their SUVs and their cars and business people fly. So uh, I certainly I don't think we'll ever be what it was because of the uh, uh, influx of, of, of cheap, inexpensive personal transportation. Everybody, my mother uh despised trains and she was so happy when she could finally buy her own car when she was nearly 50 years old and learned to drive and uh, so because she had ridden trains because she had no other way to get there and it, it represented hardship to her and i thought it was the most wonderful thing in the world i couldn't wait to hop get out of that car and hop on another train and uh so i think the personal transportation is certainly cut into it. I think freight business is is probably going to get bigger. I was wondering in the 1960s when I used to ride the trains and the railroads were really going down, they were having all kind of major problems. What was going to come along to save the railroads? And of course, the container, the box, the piggyback mm -hmm. car, the truck trailer, uh, That's that proved to be the saving grace of many of the major railroads. That and bulk commodities, hauling coal is what came next. And uh, But I think the containers more than anything. If you ride a long-distance pasture train, you'll pass more container trains than any other. 
than any other type of freight train. And they also haul a great many auto rack cars oh, transporting yeah. automobiles. Especially here. That's, yes, that's a huge business. So I think it's gone from one thing to another. The less than carload freight is a thing of the past, but it's replaced by these uh, bulk commodities. My concern is that so many uh, uh, potential shipments on railroads have been excluded and and uh, it's the what they're actually carrying is getting to be less and less of uh, there's not the variety of things being transported that there once was you know they're sort of like putting their eggs in one basket uh, so I don't know but I oh yes there's a definite future for the railroads there's no question about that yeah it's really you say that you know it's because it seems like uh, CSX coming in not CSX Norfolk Southern seems there's a certain train, of course, coming down from where they make the BMWs. Of course, they're going to be bringing in the auto racks full of the new BMW cars. But then you see the CSX trains, you know, heading south. They've got, you can kind of sometimes see mixed freight on those trains heading yes. out. But yeah, you're right. You bet you're going to see, you know, a lot of those piggybacks, you know, a lot of containers too. That's almost. right. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, they call those unit trains, and they used to talk about how wonderful it would be, the unit trains would be. There was a man named John Neeling who wrote a column for Trains Magazine, and he pre he predicted what we see today. The, uh, the uh, you, We may see a train go through that's 150 uh, grain cars, hopper cars, or we may see a, a train that's a unit train that's coal cars, or one, and especially those that are container cars you know that is the that is the present of railroad and i think it's i hope it's a good deal of the future of railroading too but they've got to be competitive and they've got to be sensitive to the competition and above all railroads must be sensitive to the needs of the consumer of the customer of the freight shipping customer because mm -hmm. there's so many options now oh yeah and it's always weird when you see a piece of an airplane on the railroad car, but <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, and I have seen that, and you probably have too. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that many times. That's right. Absolutely, absolutely. And in case, God forbid, of a war situation, we would need the railroads desperately. You know, oh they, yeah, they have to be maintained. Well, I mean, it's uh, you know, if you have a family member or a friend who's in the military and if they, you know, move their battalion or, you know, what have you overseas for a while, they actually take all of their equipment with them, tanks, Humvees, MRAVs, what have you. And so when they ship them over there, guess what they ship them on to get That's to the right. port? On a train to get to they the go. ship. And that goes they before go. they go over there. They go by rail. When the Cuban Missile Crisis was on in that 1962 or three, I was in the seventh grade, and I would go down to the railroad depot, and here would come these long extra trains with loads of freight cars and military equipment, and then long lines of passenger cars. And I got to see passenger cars from every railroad because they were all pitching in, and that's mm -hmm. when they still had a big pool of passenger cars to draw from, and the soldiers would be in the passenger cars. And I didn't realize how much danger we were in at the time, but I sure enjoyed watching those uh, military trains go through our little town. Yeah, I would imagine it would be something to see. But you yes. know, when you hear about the, uh, you know, because you had the conspiracy theorists who are like, I saw a train and there was cars full of tanks and all of this. And you're like, well, yeah, that's how they move them, pal. You know, so. That's right. That's right. No, <laughs> it's not conspiratorial. Yeah. Yeah, it's not conspiratorial. That's just how they move the goods. That's just business, buddy. You know? <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
Thad, it was awesome talking to you. Thanks for being on. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome, Johnny. I appreciate you and what you've done for the book, and I appreciate Arcadia, and we'll uh, be looking forward to meeting with people in person when we can do that and signing books and uh, uh, just promoting the book in any way we can. Hopefully that'll be sooner than later. Yeah, that's right, my friend. Thanks to you, the audience, for joining us. The Railroad's Lake Charles is available now for purchase online at ArcadiaPublishing.com and wherever local books are sold. And as always, I want to thank Jay and Bill's unnamed band project for the theme song of the show, and you can find them by searching their name online on Facebook and Instagram. I will talk with you again soon.